listen to your podcasts. Iowa men's basketball in the spotlight tonight, taking on Duke in the nightcap of the Jimmy V Classic at Madison Square Garden. Illinois plays Texas in the opener at 6 o'clock. The Hawkeyes' Caitlin Clark was named the Big Ten Women's Player of the Week. The Iowa women set to host Iowa State tomorrow night. All eyes on Yankees free agent Aaron Judge as he arrives at the winter meetings in San Diego today. The Yankees and the Giants said to be the leading suitors for the MVP. I'm Doug Thompson. From the Jethro's Barbecue Studios, where every Tuesday get two for one on the best wings in town. Score! This is Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. For 75 years, NCMIC has been doing the right thing for its customers, employees, and the community. Now, here's Miller and Condon. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3 KXNO. I'm Trent Condon. My man today is Emery Songer. What, what? Tomorrow, Scott Sipker scheduled to hang out with me. Oh, the uh, Iowa nice guy. Self-proclaimed. Yeah, I think that he's kind of shifted more into that. It's a character that he plays right. more than his identity. So I've never done a show with Sipker before. Oh, really? Yeah. I've worked with him a few times. Uh, Concerned? Should I be nervous? It's a different vibe, right? (laughs) Yes. I made the mistake, and it wasn't really a mistake to me, but it was a mistake for the listeners of my Saturday morning show on our sister station, 1040 WHO. It's a fun-loving, you know, wake up on Saturday morning. What's going on in town? Like, how you do? How's everybody going? Mm -hmm. What's the weather going to be like and all that stuff? And brought his sense of humor to be my co-host one of those days. Okay, so he was sitting at 7 in the morning, and you know how he is. Yes. He, he is dry, and his sense of humor is, uh, he, he likes to make fun of me, which I enjoy. I, sure. I like that. But the listeners just kept texting the text oh, line yeah. and saying, why is he so mean to you? This guy's, why, like, he, uh, they didn't get it. Is he nice? Like, is he, is this guy happy for anything? And, uh, obviously we had a good laugh about that, but, uh, you'll be fine. Yeah. He, 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 he's a, especially now that he's like this big highfalutin producer. Sure. You know, now, now I feel like he's wearing a different hat. Uh, he's just a he's just a more jovial version of himself. We'll tee it up. We'll make it easy on him. We'll talk. Tell him I said hey. I haven't seen I him. I will. In a while. Yeah, I know. It's it's weird. Even with this new time slot being just shifted back an hour, I don't see Ross anymore mm-hmm. at all. I haven't seen Ross outside of the KXNO birthday party in months. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Like I, I see Sean a lot more. That's a lot of fun. Get to you know, yeah, he's in the he's in the building. Yeah, yeah, talk with him, you know, pretty much every day. But yeah, just uh, shifting around, getting used to it, and different times and everything else. And don't see you very often because you're already back home by the time that I get in here. Yeah, I know. Just different, but hey, it's good. Speaking of different, we got different coming up next year, possibly in high school football. Joining us right now, the communication director with the Iowa High School Athletic Association. He is Chris Cuellar. Mr. Cuellar, good to talk to you again. Good to see you up at the Unidome. How are things with you? Uh, it's been a fun morning, Trent, uh, <laughs> as you can probably imagine. Uh, nice to catch up with both you guys. And, and for what it's worth, I, I like the time slot. You're good. Good, good. I, and you're not alone, <laughs> and we definitely do as well, leading right into Murph and Andy. Certainly a good time. And get a little more of that lunch crowd over the noon hour, which is always a good thing, and where we are right now. So, Chris, let's start with the news today and kind of the parameters. We explained it at the top of the program, something that has been talked about, bandied about, adding another factor of kind of measuring these programs and and putting them with like programs and brethren 
and putting a socioeconomic factor into it. So first of all, just kind of the thought process behind it, where you guys viewed it and ultimately making the, de- the, the decision and the recommendation out that goes to the schools about going this route. So we've had a classification committee for years. Um, it's just whether things have, have, recommendations have forcefully come out of it that have affected more things than, you know, uh, should we add a class of soccer or is it time to add a class of, you know, football like we did a a couple years ago. Um, There was a push from our member schools, uh, discussion long within our office, with our board, uh, everybody who's credit in the release. It's all been years of discussion and running possible models either you know of our own creation or from other states of what something like this might look like uh how to make something like this legal which uh, a number of other state associations uh, have had to work through as well um and ultimately uh the classification committee met last week and decided that they they wanted to uh recommend a big change now obviously there's uh a, a Along quite a few steps to go, um, but but the idea would be that uh, if we take a vote of our membership and enough, you know, schools vote in favor of this adjustment, then it would go to the state board of education, and then they would need to vote on it. And uh, if they approve it, we would have uh, adjusted football classifications by a uh, finite socioeconomic factor uh, of you know, reducing 40% of a school's free and reduced lunch rate uh, in our classification by the next school year uh, for the sport of football. Chris, this seems like you guys have been actively working on trying to adjust the competitiveness of big school, high school football in this state for the last four or five years. And it kind of started with the introduction of the RPI, then the introduction of the larger class, the way that you kind of grouped the uh, you know, schedules together to try to make teams that are perennially, you know, competitive, playing each other more of their schedule, so you don't get a ton of random district games, if you will, that just were not fair. Where you get Dowling playing, you know, poor Sioux City North or something like that, and and the like for a while. This seems like though maybe the most overarching change that could completely affect the competitiveness from top to bottom. I know this is something that you guys have been working toward to try to make things more competitive across the board, but where would you rank all of the changes that you guys have really been trying to make over the last four or five years that try to answer those questions and try to get these schools on a level playing field? I think this is potentially clearly number one. (laughs) Is that that a clear enough answer? I mean, it it all depends on how the vote shakes out and and uh, obviously we, we can't uh, provide too much input ahead of that. Uh, our schools will start voting uh, at the end of next week, um, but, but it is potentially uh, a, a clear number one spot. Um, this metric affects every school, which is part of the reason the classification committee was comfortable going with it. It doesn't punish some schools for being up or you know hamper some for being a certain amount down but not enough down. Every single school that provides its free and reduced lunch count is factored into this uh, model with their enrollment number, and that that ends up giving them, it spits out a different number. So uh, there is no public school in the state of Iowa that has a 0.0% free and reduced lunch rate, so no public school will have that, you know, exact same uh, beds number. I know you know, Emory, what that means, and Trent, Mm -hmm. I I know you're tuned in as well, but uh, it's an educational data survey uh, produced by the actual uh, State Department of Education. 
So one question that I, I've received from a couple of people this morning is, what does this actually change? What With the addition of a class now in football, as you've gone now with 5A, you look at some schools. I just randomly, I used the formula this morning and went to Des Moines North, and it drops their enrollment down to about 900. Now, they're already down in 4A. I don't think that would drop them, certainly down to 3A. So in the grand scheme of things, how many schools do you anticipate this would impact, and and does it change a whole lot? The, The models that we've run so far are based on past data. So it would be updated for, you know, whatever is coming out of 2022-2023. And, you know, as the release mentions, we're looking for the next year of the football cycle. Mm -hmm. So as as of the outdated data, uh, just over 10% of schools would change classification. So uh, it depends on how you define the word massive. I mean, uh, if, if you're looking for a complete wholesale change and picking and choosing which schools should go where, it probably isn't going to do that, and there isn't a model uh, that would be legally appropriate that would do that. Um, but if you're looking, if you think 40 schools is a lot, which which I guess I would offer that it is, mm-hmm. uh, changing classification, um, you know, in the we have, we have around 330 football schools, um, so I I think it I think it does change quite a bit. There's obviously not a clear cut answer yet until we get final data and approval uh, on this on. Everybody wants to know how this affects them, right? Well, what about me? Do, do I fall into 1A now? Am I 2A now? Well, my school's here. Uh, but until we, you know, run through all those particulars, uh, you know, we, we won't know completely. Speaking with Chris Cuellar from the Iowa High School Athletic Association. Chris, now you mentioned public and, and the public school side of this, where that information, the free and reduced lunch number, is provided, and, and, and if they provide it, we'll know the exact number and that exact percentage to throw into this formula, and that will affect things. But there is quite a, a number of private schools in the state of Iowa as well, and they are notably very good generally at football and other sports, and obviously this is not going to overarch to every sport immediately. But you know, when you look at Dowling and you know Cedar Rapids Xavier and even like Des Moines Christian, these are schools that are run just a little bit differently with you know the, the private aspect of this. How, how can how are they going to fit into this whole thing? Because they're not going to show up with a, a different number in all likelihood as a lot of these other schools would. Would they just be, basically be treated like they're normal, uh, like they've been normal over the last you know many years? Uh, that's a very good question, Emery, and it, it, complicated, but it, it, here's an answer that hopefully can kind of uncomplicate it a little bit. Um, non-public schools have not been required to supply those free and reduced lunch counts. Our standing on this at this time is that if a school does not supply that free or reduced lunch count, they would simply receive a 0.0, so the enrollment wouldn't be adjusted. Does that help? Absolutely. It does, yeah. And yeah. makes a whole lot of sense. So there's so much going on football wise. We see the final four and five A this year. All teams from our neck of the woods. Now for me, great for business. I, I absolutely loved it. For the peaceful <laughs> on the other side of the state, though, not so much. I love the change going away from the old east west divide that we had for so many years at the highest level of high school football. But we see the continued gap 
between what's happening here in central Iowa and across the state. How concerning is that for you guys in Boone? And and seeing, is there a different way of doing this? Is there a different way of seeing the power structure that continues to, to make its way here to central Iowa? I think it certainly drives how uh, games are scheduled and then how playoff teams are qualified. Um, you know, we're just in an era right now where central Iowa is dominating. 25 years ago, it was a different thing. And depending on the sport, we're talking about different areas. Um, so you kind of have to step back a little bit from the sport specifics and the time specifics. But the thing that is interesting about football is, and part of the reason we're having this classification discussion is because it is the lone sport in which we both cut off the number of qualifiers. Every other sport is all in, in some capacity and schedule games for schools. So those two discussions end up being in lockstep with one another and how many teams are going to qualify and how many schools are needed in each classification to shuffle. I, I know that seems like it's diving into minutia, but when we talk about one area dominating, especially like in 5A, that ends up feeding all those other concerns about who do I have to play, how do we qualify, how do we get to the, the Dome, and uh Ultimately, after all those conversations, and we even have we have a football advisory committee meeting here in the office tomorrow morning, so I'm sure there will be plenty on the agenda. But uh, they have to go out and win the games, and the coaches know that. Uh, the off season is a fun time to talk, but um, you know, West Moines Valley entered the playoffs with uh, four losses, and still we're playing in that state final that you called, Trent. So. Uh, if you go out and no matter what qualifying system that we put down, go out and win the game, uh, you know, we'll do our best to get it right. But uh, the, the top teams always seem to find a way to get there. All right, Chris. Now, I, I do want to ask about this because I mentioned it earlier. This is not the first step or the only step or effort that you guys have made to try to level the playing field or make things a little bit more balanced or interesting in, in many different ways. And you are talking about this being the pretty clearly the most important of the changes that you have made i guess what was the straw that broke the camel's back on this time being like the time we talked about this specific topic because i know it's been whispered about and you guys have done what you can without messing with the enrollment numbers to to make it as fun on a week-to-week basis for as many schools as possible and i know that that's you know the goal for everybody in the future and that's good for the health of all these programs but what was the straw that broke the camel's back on this for this year i think the classification committee wanted to make an action step I think they were, after years of discussion, we even had a two-year run there where we were on a joint classification with the girls' union, and, you know, nothing really came out of that. Uh, I think they wanted to take a step that showed that they were aware of this issue, that they did have some solutions in mind, that, that uh, the boys in Boone, as it will be, weren't just, like, hiding the ball and, and, and hiding from you know, all this criticism and completely unaware of the issues that our schools are facing. And the, the school administrators of the classification committee and our board felt strongly that, that now was a good time ahead of a redistricting cycle to try and make that kind of change with a sport that, again, we handle the scheduling of, we handle the qualification process of, and, you know, from a participation numbers, from a competitive standpoint, ends up driving a lot of the conversation. So a couple of news and notes with you to wrap things up. You mentioned soccer a little earlier. Got the World Cup going on. Had a soccer dad check in. Is there a possibility of adding an extra class to soccer in the future? 
Yeah, that's actually been a recommendation uh, for the last couple of years now. Uh, but uh, I think it's kind of held off uh, as part of some of these classification committee discussions. So uh, it, it has been in the hopper. All right, so but, we got uh, that one. Not, not imminent. <laughs> not imminent. Okay, that's a good way yeah. to put it. Let's jump to basketball. You have the new qualification uh, process set up. Substates, we will get both the pairings and the teams involved a little bit later on. Love that what you did there, and I'm just waiting for the phone call when I get to be part of the voting committee out of the media. Trent, I just need to see a few more reps, you know, need you to need you to finish the drill hard and uh, give 100 percent going to the hoop and maybe we can have a talk. All right. That sounds good. But the, the thought process behind it, something that is another one feels well overdue waiting. Is this something that will also extend to the baseball calendar, something that also has been talked about waiting a little bit longer before we put out these substates? Look at you, man! All the all the alarm bells just just tipping <laughs> off. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've actually discussed ranks with the with the baseball advisory committee. Uh, I think we're we're in the process of formulating some kind of plan uh, that is similar to baseball um, for for that as well. One thing that was really important to us for basketball is that we didn't just have one person looking at maps and trying to follow all the games and releasing their side of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, each classification for basketball has two coaches and one media member, and then our three staff members. Um, So it's essentially a six-person committee by classification, and all the coaches are state tournament championship-level coaches who have stepped away but still want to stay involved, Um, and the media members are actively covering games. So we're getting a lot of eyeballs in all different corners of the state and trying to cover all classifications. If we tackle something similar in other sports, I think we would want to follow a similar process and not just have it be one person deciding who goes where. Well, Chris, as always, appreciate your time. So much good information, a lot going on as always. And I think I've I've said it before here on the airwaves, but it bears repeating. Getting some young blood there in Boone, it was a good thing. You were a great hire for them. And you and now Andy, another new staff member up there, guys doing great work and Bringing the Boys Association forward to the 21st century, something uh, well, many people believe was long overdue. Thank you for all that you do for the high school sports here in the state. Trent, very good to talk with you, as always. And open invitation to Boone anytime. Come on up. We're, we're, uh, we're ready to go. You know, I'll take that up on you. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's tailgate for something. You know, like throw a party. If this thing gets passed, you guys deserve a party. I see uh, some open spots out by my car for a tailgate spot, so come on up. Perfect. Thanks, Chris. Be right there. Thanks, guys. Chris Cuellar with the Boys Association in Boone. He's truly done God's work up there. It was needed. They needed to bring in some new ideas. Chris certainly has those. A fresh perspective and getting away from the old good boys, good old boys network. That was a risk he took, though. I mean, he Mm -hmm. he had a good media career going. I mean, he's a likable guy. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot of connections. To go up there and, I mean, he easily could have just been silenced. No, absolutely, yeah. And he wondered if that was going to be the case. It hasn't been. It's been the opposite. Absolutely. I, I, Trent, and I want. I asked him that question about like how important this particular move was versus the others because you can't just start with like the biggest, most outrageous step that <laughs> right. you know. Like they have gone through every possible scenario to use their power legally for what they are to make football as competitive as possible in every way they could before they adjusted attendance or uh, um, enrollment figures based on socioeconomic status. And now, after all those stepping stones, this finally was achieved 
because we are getting closer and closer to understanding why football is a dying sport in a lot of ways, in a lot of communities. Heck, we almost had a 5A or 4A mm-hmm. level school in this city decide not to play anymore. How devastating for what we call the king's sport in all of the United States. He, I, I, I don't, I, he would deflect this, but he has done as much for that organization there and for the kids that play high school sports in this state than I think almost anybody anywhere has. And that's saying a lot. So kudos to him. You, you nail it right on the head as you, you let him go off the phone there. We cannot underestimate like how big of an impact that he has made to make football and save football. I mean, save football yeah. in a lot of communities in this state with these moves. And these are things that are necessary, and they did them. Something that in the past took a long time. Waiting to put out the teams in each sub-state. Seems easy, right? Right. But... For years and years and it years, wasn't, that wasn't the case. And you would see sub-states that were absolutely stacked. You'd see sometimes, you know... You'd have, what, you'd have multiple top five teams oh, playing absolutely. each other before you even get a chance to go to state. You'd have six teams in a sub-state and four of them be ranked at some point in the year. And just because they put it out in January. No, wait. Push it back. It doesn't have to be that... Guess what? A bus can make its way to Sioux City or Marshalltown or Cedar Falls. It could go everywhere. The bus it still works the same. You Just could you wait. could do it like the you know football is a great example. They don't come out with that playoff period. They they played <laughs> yes. games on Wednesdays, yes. and, and they wouldn't come out until Sunday morning for the the playoffs. I mean, you had three days notice. You didn't even know where you were going with that stuff, and you couldn't do it for the other sports. They're making it happen now, and that is good. And That's Chris it. is a big big part of that. Absolutely, and good to see what he's doing now. We can argue the merits of the RPI. That is a scheduled base metric. I would like to see something a little more analytical. That's a conversation uh, for down the road. I, I, and, and I, but this is the first step, and you have to make those first steps. Well, and I really had a problem with it its first year because I could not understand why the, the if you looked at the percentages, thirty five percent was to for for winning your own winning percentage. Yep, and thirty five percent was for your own or for or your th- opponent. It was like thirty seven and a half or whatever for yep. both of them, but it was the equal amount of you know your winning percentage and your schedule's winning percentage essentially, right? You were you were getting rewarded just as much for having difficult opponents on your schedule as you were for actually winning games. And Southeast Polk that first year squeezed in as the 16th seed, yeah. and they had a losing record. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how, how is that possible? And then, of course, Southeast Polk goes on a run and makes it up to the Dome despite that and shuts me up. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you know, like, well, all right. But there, there has to be a better formula there. But apparently, according to Chris, I talked to him about this and about my specific argument in that regard. And he said... Guess what? Absolutely nobody in the coaching carousel is talking about that. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, okay, well, I mean, if the coaches understand it and they're cool with that, then I'm cool with that. But I think you're right. You might need to get a little bit more analytical, if, especially if you start really adjusting class sizes mm-hmm. and who's in what class based on a little bit more of a level playing field across the board. Baby steps, and we're making them, no doubt about it. All right, Emery, we're going to talk a little Iowa Duke coming up next. Matt Norlander, he's making his way there. Before that, another good matchup. We'll get to see the Illini again as they'll take uh, on in their first game uh, coming up in Madison Square Garden. So that'll be 6 o'clock. Iowa Duke's at 8.30. Going to be a late night for Matt Norlander. We'll talk to him on his way to MSG next as we continue. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3. Trey Condon, Emery Songer with you today. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3 KXNO. At Norlander, 90 minutes away from making his way to MSG. Big double dip on tap, of course, 
The one that matters the most here is Iowa Duke. Mr. Norlander, it's been too long. Now I feel like I know your life incredibly well because the Ion College Basketball Podcast is required listening for me. You and Gary Parrish doing wonderful work over there with that. But how you been? How was the off season? I've been I've been well, man. I uh, appreciate the music bump. Talking Heads is good. I feel like uh, at, at certain moments throughout Mr. McCaffrey's career, that would be an appropriate uh, show introductory song uh, <laughs> after that. But uh, I only kid, I kid. No, we're doing well. I'm very, very, very excited for this Jimmy V tonight. Jimmy V doubleheader is always a good event. But and I'd have to go back and look. I haven't really looked at uh, recent, recent matchups. But I feel like, you know, Illinois, Texas, Duke, Iowa – is as strong of a one-two as this event has had probably in the past seven or eight seasons. So it's quite intriguing, and I'm anticipating a, a couple of uh, pretty good games here tonight. So a spot on the schedule that obviously doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Iowa. They have the Iowa State game coming up, then a conference game over the weekend against Wisconsin. as such an important stretch, but Frey McCaffrey in his press conference early this week just said it was an opportunity they couldn't say no to. A chance to play at MSG, not only that, to play against Duke, not only that, Jimmy V, of course, with the McCaffrey family and what Patrick McCaffrey's gone through. I mean, there were just too many positives. Would you like this to schedule a little bit better and work at a different time? But this is one in Iowa, still a program trying to build themselves up to another level. This is one you just can't say no to. Is that right in your mind, Norlander, even with what's still to come here later this week for the Hawkeyes? You don't, yeah, listen, we're going to get kind of quickly into the weeds here, but um, the way this kind of stuff works is that, so obviously the Jimmy V is run by ESPN events, and the matchups for this are determined year and a half, two years out, so you got to figure, you know, Iowa was approached probably in 2020, maybe early 2021 about this, and it's Duke at that point. Uh, don't even know. There's, no one thinks that Mike Chesky won't be coaching Duke, but uh, Duke is Duke regardless. And you take this opportunity to you if it's offered, especially if you're a program like Iowa, uh, you take it. If memory serves, I want to say Iowa might have played in the first ever Jimmy V. I'm I'm trying to vamp this off the top of my head, Trent. I can't remember if that's the case or not. I do remember because I talked to an event organizer in the past. Iowa, UConn, and some other teams uh-huh. were involved in, I think, the first ever like MTE doubleheader kind of situation at MSG back in like 99, 2000 or something like it that. Was, yeah. It was, yeah. a two-day event. It yeah, was the debut happened. of Steve Alford. His first ever game as Iowa head coach. UConn had just won a national championship. They were preseason number one with Khalid Alamine and that group coming back. And Iowa upset them. Not a very good Iowa team that season in Alford's first year. But, boy, I remember well, I was a student at Iowa. And I was sprinting to the bars to celebrate after that one, this after time, Iowa uh, got that, the win against number one. That might have been, and I don't mean to get us too far off the track here. I'll get this, I'll get this train uh, back where it should be in just a second. <laughs> if that wasn't the Jimmy V, I think that might have been the first instance where a four-team MTE did not have pre-arranged mm-hmm. Title game matchups, and because top-rated UConn wound up losing and kind of spoiling the bracket, I actually think in the years after that, now this isn't an across-the-board situation, but there have been you know deals where it's like yeah, we'll have these two on on day one and, the, and these two on day two, no matter the results. And I I want to say that that might have uh, started that era. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I always got to take this game, and I actually think it's a great spot here. Okay because of the way things turn out. Duke has been solid, but not great. You get this in a neutral. Yes, Duke will have more fans than Iowa in the building, although I am kind of interested to see 
how well Iowa travels here tonight. Illinois will travel well. Illinois often travels well. Duke has a lot of sidewalk alumni in the greater New York City area, and Mike Krzyzewski for 25 years conditioned that fan base to have at least one game in the greater New York City metro area. Texas, we'll see. Iowa, we'll see. But if Iowa wins, you then get Iowa State at home. Yes, it will be challenging. Otzelberger, I saw his program up close and personal at Portland. That is certainly not a gimme. Hmm. Iowa could go two and zero, one and one, zero and two. All the game, the, you know, those scenarios all feel, you know, like there's an equal percentage chance, thirty three point three percent, no matter what. You want to get out of this stretch here, one and one, because then obviously after that you've got Wisconsin waiting. So it is a bit tough. But to this point, Iowa has performed well, and just from a national perspective, right now only seven games in. You're not even 25% through of your regular season inventory. Uh, I would say Iowa, from my expectations, has slightly outperformed what I would expect it to be. I did not project the Hawkeyes to be an NCAA tournament team going into the season. Right now, that is looking like a bad prediction. But then again, if it were to go 0-3 in this next stretch, right. which is almost certainly not going to happen, you got two home, home tips there. I would not think they're going to go 0-3. Um, we'd have to recalibrate, but so far, so good, and I'm really interested to see this team up close and personal tonight, and in particular, Chris Murray is obviously the big star there. He has even outperformed expectations, which, as you know, Trent, from the Island College Basketball Podcast, we kind of poke fun at ourselves on a recent episode, because <laughs> we were like, how idiotic were we to not project this dude to be a top-20 player after, you know, his brother <laughs> just did this a year ago, so that's a fun little plot line that's developing in college hoops. Yeah, Emory Sucker here, by the way, uh, Matt. I, I'm looking at Iowa, and obviously the schedule uh, here coming up, you're already looking in the rearview mirror at some of these, you know, the Seton Hall, Clemson, TCU, Georgia Tech. Like, that, that's a nice little run of non-conference games, and obviously you add Duke and Iowa State in there, and Iowa State ranked for their matchup that they're going to have here on Thursday. For me, though, I look at this, and you mentioned it. You took the words right out of my mouth. Chris Murray looks exactly like Keegan. I mean, it, it, I know that we made that observation last year it, when Keegan was out and Chris was in the game. It, it's almost like if the number wasn't different, we would just we would be led to believe that's the same player out there. And he's performing that way so far this season. The problem that Iowa had last year, it just felt like they didn't have like the support around Keegan Murray when he was on the floor, and especially when he had to take a breather. It felt like things were... They didn't belong in a 68-team bracket in the NCAA tournament without him out there. And I know basketball, you can use one-star player and get it to a certain length, but do you think this Iowa team, I know they've been scrappy, a lot of people like the way that they play, but do you think that this is a team this year that's a little bit different in the way that they can support this Murray and and not the way that you know Keegan really had to carry him through stretches of last year? I don't know. I Honestly, let's. this is exactly why and your listeners are obviously in tune to this, let's see what they do in, in this spot against Duke and then what they can do against an enti- uh, entirely differently shaped team in Iowa State two days later. A crazy kind of turnaround. Thank goodness that game will be a home one at, at Carver-Hawkeye. But, you know, what will Philip Rebracha grow into this season as a veteran, right? Aaron Eulis, about his time to, uh, to really step up and prove something. Obviously, the McCaffrey brothers are going to get going to get their minutes and going to get their shots and their their important factors on that on that offense there and you know Tony Perkins has not been you know a, a lights out kind of a support guy so far even though he's been heavy usage to this point I don't know though I I don't know this could be 
it could be a situation where the Iowa fan, it could be, you know, a 21-22 redux because the team is still winning in largely similar ways. Like it's, it's right now it's pacing again to be a very, very good offensive team. And that's been the identity of this program for like four or five years running. Like, you know, that you're going to get good shots and score. And it's, you know, the, the star of the team has, has been three different guys in three different seasons, but the bottom line on it has been, they're going to be pretty up tempo. They'll be pretty fun to watch on offense. And they're going to hope that they can score enough to to outpace teams because defensively, they're just not. It's not even that they're not elite; they're not very, very good. Like they are, I won't call them pedestrian defensively because I I think that undersells it a little bit. But there's they're simply acceptable on defense, and I don't know if with the way that McCaffrey plays and the roster that he has, if that can change. And so if that can't, if they're just going to be acceptable on the defensive end. If you're going, if your expectations are to be as good as a season ago, which I actually think is, is unfair, we're talking about a team that was a five seed. Actually, remember, uh, so much stuff can happen in a year here, and I'm now thinking back to the fact that like so many people had Iowa like minimally going to the lead eight after mm-hmm. how good it looked uh, to close out Big Ten play, and then it was like probably the most surprising non-St. Peter's upset in the first round, right? Yeah. Um, but if you want to reproduce. You know, 25 win campaign and get a four, five, six seed. Uh, you know, I think if you can do that, it's, it's actually a win. I, like you would take that right now. There's no guarantee you get there. And we will see if over the course of a season, Chris Murray is capable of being as reliable as a go to of a go to option as Keegan was a season ago. I'm not sure of that. No one knows that. We have to look up in four to six weeks to see if that's still the case because I think the pieces around him have a good chance of, of, of being that, but, uh, but man, a team like Duke and then a team like Iowa State and then really Wisconsin, there's going to be a lot learned about this roster over the next uh, next few days there. And on Duke, real quick, I, I've seen Duke in person a number of times this season already, and it's getting there. Uh, Kyle Filipowski is going to probably be the player to, to watch on the floor tonight. It's either been him or Jeremy Roach that have won basically every game for Duke to this point. But I'm waiting, like, big stage, Madison Square Garden. Derek Whitehead had off-season surgery. He was the highest-ranked prospect on the roster alongside uh, their big Derek Lively. Like, I kind of wonder if tonight's the night. Like, will, will either Whitehead or Lively really step up and have a huge game? I'm not, uh, I'm not certain of it, but I'm kind of waiting on it. And then a name that Iowa fans are familiar with, you ha- if they have not watched Duke yet this season, Ryan Young. Who was you know he was he was a solid Northwestern mm-hmm. big right he has become he has become a top three player of value on Duke's roster this season at this point yeah. because of how relentless he is at crashing the boards and he just does everything John Shire asks of him. So when Iowa fans like turn in, turn in to watch this game tonight, they might be like that dude was not the guy that we saw <laughs> play at Northwestern. He's he's been a he's been a better player there. So just keep an eye on that as well. Yeah, last time Young saw Iowa, the Hawkeyes were scoring 112 against them in the Big Ten tournament. I think it's going to be a little bit different here. And Kyle Filipowski, that's a guy that Iowa was heavily involved with. They thought they had a great shot even as Duke got involved late in his recruitment. Ultimately, it came down to it sounded like Duke and Iowa. And he chose the Dukies. Big front line, going to be a difficult matchup for not a real big Iowa team. Enjoy it tonight. Enjoy Texas, Illinois. Final 30 seconds. Quick hit on that one. 
Listen, this is a matchup between two teams that I think can make the Final Four. Texas was a surprise team in the preseason when it was number two at Ken Palm, was more picked in the 10 to 20 range by us media hats. And to this point, Texas is undefeated. It's looked really, really good. Yes, Tyrese Hunter, I know the listeners are familiar with that name. He has been quite good and lived up to his billing as a top-five transfer. Illinois was my preseason pick to win the Big Ten. Coleman Hawkins, I think, is going to play in the NBA and Terrence Shannon Jr. has been among the 10 to 15 best players in the country right there along the, along the lines of, say, Chris Murray. So that's an excellent undercard. I would actually make the argument it's the better game, but Duke is Duke. It will get the billing of the late night, and so Iowa fans will uh, get the benefit of getting the second one. But I can't wait for both of these. And you didn't ask, but uh, I'll throw it out there. I will say Illinois. I will say Illinois and Duke wind up winning, and I can tell you that I have almost no confidence in either of those picks. Well, I've seen your picks on Friday, Stu. They're not very good, so I might be fading those tonight. I'm I'm one game above 500. <laughs> it's not going to make money, nor later. That's not making money. Got to hit 52.4% to make money. That's right. That's right. Enjoy MST. Thanks, Matt. Fellas, thank you so much. Have a nice night. That's Matt Norlander, com, Ion College Basketball Podcast as well. Great listening if you're a college basketball fan, and I'm going to guess most everybody in your audience is. I wish you would have told him that he's not the smartest guy that you have on this show. <laughs> on the show today? Well, we, we leave that aside. He loves his music. You guys would probably be... Uh, Dude, the Talking Heads yes. poll. Well, he said him and his son were listening to Talking Heads. This kid's like four. They're just sitting there. That's talking just, Heads is his favorite That's band. just good parenting. That, that is. You know what I mean? Like We got I, a lot of wiggles in our house. You know, we got kids uh, bop. I know. Uh, I'm, I'm not doing very well. Need to work on that. What are you doing, Trent? Well, we'll take a break. I'll work on it during the break. I'll come up with a better list for the kids. Kids Jojo bop in the... No. Oh. No. No. It's rough. It's rough. Oh. We wrap things up. Trent's My picks heart. of the day. You're ruining the next generation. Uh, one kid at a time. Tell me about it. If you own a house, you've a huge asset. And everyone's looking at it. With Wall Street investors buying up homes in Des Moines and renting them out like never before, you have to wonder, what do they see in your big asset that you don't? The truth is, if you sell your home instead of renting it, you can kiss your asset goodbye. Especially with today's higher interest rates, the best way to save your asset is to rent it out instead. Does renting make your asset look big? Yes, it does. Especially when you hire the professional landlords at Renner's Warehouse. DIYing your property management is a total pain in your asset. But with Renner's Warehouse, you never have to find tenants, collect rent, or handle pesky maintenance calls again. Don't lose your asset and stop busting your asset trying to manage it yourself. Go to Renner'sWarehouse.com to book your free home rental price analysis today or call 515-528-4429. Renner's Warehouse. You can't buy happiness. Trent's Pick of the Day is brought to you by Circus Sports. Download the Circus Sports app today to play with Trent or against him. Every short on time, so I'm going to fire through as I got seven picks here tonight Woo. for college basketball. We'll kick it off. In fact, I'm following Norlander. Yes, I'm on Illinois as well. Plus the two and a half. Officiating will matter in this one. The clutching and grabbing that Illinois loves to do. Give me high point. They're getting 12 and a half. They're off to a 7-1 start at Furman tonight. Give me the Seahawks of Wagner plus 9 as they go to Fordham. Two Arkansas picks. Little Rock plus 27 and a half. Arkansas State minus 2. North Texas, they're getting 11 and a half at UTA. And wrap it up with the big one tonight. Give me Duke. Duke is Duke. They're on TV more than whatever the line goes. 
I'm taking the Dukies. I'm going to lay the two and a half tonight. Thoughts? Uh, yeah, the Furman Paladins. Yes. Sleeping on them. You're sleeping on them. They're good, too. High point. Look out. The Paladins are coming for you. Thanks for getting another Rush song in there, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for joining me. It was fun. Let's do this again sometime. Oh, we will. Don't you worry. You call me, my people will get in touch with your people. I don't have people. Oh. You have people. I, I wish I had people. We got people coming in. It's Murph and Andy. They come in at 1. The Morning Rush at tomorrow morning at 6. And, of course, this afternoon, it's Sean and Heather with the KXNO Drive. Thanks for joining us. Miller and Condon back tomorrow at 11.